49 years ago in 1970. How wild is that? Looking forward to that. We're going to have a great time if you can join us. And we're coming to you every week to look at the different things that point to the coming of the Lord, specifically the gathering of nations and the implications of those nations about the Ezekiel 38 war. Because the rapture of the church is signless, but the second coming has tons of signs. So uh, we can look at all the signs of the second coming that tells us that we're near, but man, when you see what's going to happen right around the rapture, it's shocking how close we are. Uh, things are happening every single week. So uh, we look at things around Israel to point to that because the Lord wants us to accelerate. The whole thought pattern about the coming of the Lord is we see the finish line so we run faster, not slower. And it's for great joy and great hope and great strength. I had a famous evangelist say, Joe, if you teach on the coming of the Lord, you'll just get everybody's hopes up. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. It's the hope that purifies you even as you're pure. So, you know, the Lord rebuked them. He said, hey, you can tell what the weather's going to be, but you don't know your hour of visitation. So he wanted them to know, because when you know how much time you have left, you accelerate, you hustle. So let's look at what ha- what's happened this last week. Probably the biggest thing, which I'm kind of shocked that there's been zero publicity about this, but you had a couple of tankers were sabotaged by Iran. Uh, this last week, just a couple of days ago, United Arab Emirates ships or tankers full of oil coming to America were sabotaged by Iran. That's their response to sanctions that we put against them because they're basically saying they're going to annihilate Israel and they're making nuclear weapons. So that was pretty crazy. No mention of that at all in the news. And then yesterday, you had drones fly over and drop explosive devices on pump stations in Saudi Arabia. So you, this was done by the Houthis from Yemeni, Yemeni Houthis. So you've got attacks on the world oil supply without any kind of talk about it whatsoever. But that's happening all around the Strait of Hormuz, happening all around the Middle East. And our response to even what Iran is doing, we sent another uh, naval vessel that has a, a ton of Patriot missile batteries and some actually some new technology that they wouldn't even talk about. So you've got two carrier groups. You've got about 20 ships along with those carrier groups stationed off of Israel because of what Iran has said. And what Iran basically threatened our troops all over the Middle East. So uh, they're really ticked off about, uh, about the sanctions because they basically were not able to circumvent them like they have been the last few years. So uh, you have to clamp down on them when they keep supplying Hamas and Hezbollah missiles to attack Israel. Even following this, you had the UN there in Gaza say the next war between Gaza and Israel is going to be the main one. So it's kind of wild to even have peacemakers talking about how bad the war is going to be. So uh, things are setting up for what's going to happen after we leave. There are things that will happen before we leave, but man, things are falling into place for things that will happen after we leave. For instance, you've got so much anti-Semitism. Even U.S. Congress uh, women talking about uh, the Holocaust in such a way of complete cluelessness. It's just, I'm in awe. Because, see, that's kind of what happens after we're gone. The Antichrist tries to change history, tries, tries to change dates and times, and you see a little bit of an implement of that right now. I mean, it, it is weird about the Palestinians. I said this a few years ago, and so did uh, New Gingrich, said it about a month after I said it. There are no such things as Palestinian people. And people freak out when you say that. But even Hafez Assad, Bashar Assad's father, brutal, mean, demonic dictator from Syria. He told Yasser Arafat, there are no such things as Palestinians. You made that word up. There were Arabs, there were Greeks, there were Turks, there were uh, Jews that were there, but there were no such things as Palestinians as a made-up name. So you see all this weird verbiage coming uh, about the attack on that. I mean, even attack on the Holocaust, attack on Israel's uh, thought pattern for peace, a one-state plan or a two-state plan, all this verbiage is coming out right now because the pressure's there because this is what happens after we leave. I mean, remember I talked about our ambassador being on the aircraft carrier because he's trying to keep Russia from annexing part of the Ukraine. Russia annexes Crimea. Russia keeps moving down more into Syria. You have bases all over Syria because the Bible says Russia comes down into Israel right after the rapture. That's the Ezekiel 38 war. So when you're seeing all the setups for that, that's a wake-up call for us. Jesus is just about to come back. When you had Democratic presidential hopeful Cory Booker mock prayer, he even said a cuss word about praying. I love that Franklin Graham hammered him and said, no, God is a God that answers prayer. So you see people that 20, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, would never say things like this publicly, but there's such an anti-Christianity, anti-Semitism, anti-hatred of God happening right now that's pointing to what's going to happen after we leave that seven-year period of tribulation. We talk about the tribulation being judgment. Really, it's mercy, pressure putting on people to accept Jesus as their Messiah. Some people are haughty and hard-headed and wait till missiles are flying out there before they 
do. So the world's getting ready to be set up for that. But let's look at the scripture. You know, we go to it every week, but it, it's blatant about the coming of the Lord. People say, well, how can you tell how close we are? Well, all the signs show us exactly how close we are. There, there's no wiggle room. There's, it's precise. Israel made a nation. Jerusalem won back. Hebrew language restored. Ethiopian Jews brought back. Fertility of the land of Israel. I like this. The, the Roman Empire uh, revived in 1957. I, I'm amazed about Israel being made a nation of Jerusalem won back. Jesus said the group of people that sees those two signs will not pass away till all is fulfilled. He said you could see this and you could know this. Not wonder, not sense, not perceive. He says very, very precise. You got many more signs. You got many lovers of cells with selfie sticks. You have, uh, I think the amazing thing about the Temple Mount Institute is you have a group of Jewish men ready to start having sacrifices. They're in position because uh, if that time has come, they'll sin and they'll start redoing that again. So they're ready, they're in position. You have many more. You have 170 different species of predatory birds start showing up in the land of Israel because God calls on the fowl of the air to clean the land up after the Ezekiel 38 war. And then seven years later at the Battle of Armageddon, he calls on the fowl of the air again. So it's just like in Noah's day. They thought Noah was crazy when the animals started lining up. They knew something's up. you got animals in position right now. you got Jewish men in position to do sacrifices. you got Russia in position. So what does the church do? We help our local church, help our local pastor. This is it. Jesus is about to come back. I believe we have a little bit of time, but not a lot. So you have many more signs. You have fish in the Dead Sea. You got a red heifer that was born on the land. Uh, you have all that. And then you have the signals. You have blood red moons on Passover and Tabernacles. That's so radical that you have four in a row on Passover and Tabernacles. The heavens are signaling. I died for you. I'm coming back. Died for you. Coming back. Pretty amazing. When's the last time you had four in a row on Passover and Tabernacles? 1967 when Jerusalem was won back. 1948 when Israel was made a nation. 1492 with the Edict of Expulsion when the Jews were kicked out of Spain. So you have the, the heavens signaling on radical events like that. Now, then you go from there and you have the Bethlehem Star, which that's so wild that that happened this last year, first time in 2,000 years. Constellation was Leo when Jesus was born. The constellation was Virgo. Then you had Mercury do a flyby of the sun. Went down directly over the Temple Mount at sundown. Planets formed a sickle. The moon formed a sickle. Orion changed his instrument to hammer. He had hammer and sickle on the same day. Now, what's that a big deal about? That's Russia's symbol. Israel's getting ready to go through the threshing floor. These are all signs of how close we are to the king coming back. So what do we do? This is it. It's all hands on deck. I hear people go, well, you don't need to know when the Lord's coming back. Tell a quarterback that in the last two minutes of a football game. No, the plays are more critical and they're more crucial as the clock winds down. Jesus is coming very, very, very soon. What a blessed time to be on the planet. And all of a sudden, we know we get to see him face to face. We'll come back next week. We'll look and see what's happening with uh, oil derricks getting bombed and pump stations getting bombed by drones. Crazy times in the Middle East because Jesus is just about to have a blessed, awesome week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at the end. His mic was a little noisy there, but but uh, but it was still good. And uh, so they'll get the lights turned on here in just a second. You know, I was thinking, um, I was thinking, you know, a lot of times he talks about like in a football game or something. But, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, you'll hear people say that a game's won or lost in the last, the last, like, you know, like uh, if you follow basketball, uh, the NBA playoffs are going on right now. And the, there was a game seven going on and, and the guy hit a, bu- a buzzer beater right at the last second to win the game. And a lot of people say that was the game-winning shot, but really, you think about it. There's been there's been you know uh, like 60 minutes of game time being played, and then everybody says that one shot's the one that won the game. Well, every play's critical, but when it comes down to the very end, those plays and those things are a lot more critical. You know, they show out a lot more. They they're they're you know they everybody focuses on them more. Well, we're in the end times. We're in the the end of the the end of the game, so to speak. So. So the things that we're seeing, the things that, that are happening, just stand out so much more, you know, to that. So we are, uh, we have been studying, uh, we've been studying about the, the end time events, and we, we were looking at the, um, you know, like what's going to happen uh, at the rapture of the church. We looked at the rapture, we saw, uh, you know, how we'll be in heaven and the, the judgment seat of, uh, the, I mean, or the, excuse me, the, the reward seat, the Bema seat, actually it's called the judgment seat, but it's called... That word is actually Bema, which means the reward seat of Christ. Um, and while that is happening, while all of that is happening, the, the focus kind of shifted back 
in Revelation, it shifted back to what's happening on the earth. And we've, so we've been looking at what we call the tribulation period, and we saw how, the, we saw how that uh, it started out with the seven seals that were opened, you know, on the scroll that, that, was, that, Paul, or that John saw in heaven. Then the seven seals were opened, and that led to the seven trumpets being blown. And then as the seven trumpets were blown, we kind of took a, a pause in, uh, you know, in, in Revelation chapter 9, uh, or in Revelation chapter, yeah, in like through Revelation chapter 9, the sixth angel sounded. Then in, in, from Revelation chapter 9, when we get into 10, 11, 12, 13, and even into chapter 14, uh, we, you know, these are what's called information chapters. In other words, John kind of took a, he kind of took a step back and because everything at this, everything up to this point had happened pretty much in chronological order. It's the way it's going to happen. The, the seals will be broken first. Then the trumpets will be blown, uh, and then after the trumpets are blown, there you know uh, there, there's there's some things that happen right in the middle of the tribulation, and we'll, we we hadn't quite got there in the book of Revelation yet because John kind of stepped back and he took this. It's almost like it's almost like when the he got to the sixth trumpet, and when the sixth trumpet was blown, um, he kind of took a step back and he said he said uh, you know the Lord was like it's like the Lord was telling us I need to fill in some gaps for you here. And so we started in chapter 10, and we saw where John, where John saw the angel with a book. You remember that? We looked at this last week, where John saw the little book, and, and the angel told him to take it and eat it. And, you know, John started to write down this stuff, and, and God told him, he said, you know, no, don't write it. Or, I mean, actually, uh, Daniel, when Daniel, um, uh, all the way back in Daniel, when Daniel wrote down, he had a vision. He had a heavenly vision similar to this, and he wrote down the... Uh, uh, he, he was writing down in his little book, and, and God told him, he said, seal the book up and don't show anybody. Well, and then here in Revelation we have that this angel pulls this little book out. And most, most scholars believe, it, it doesn't say it 100%, but most scholars believe that that, that that probably was the little book that Daniel wrote that his vision in. And because we see that the, the angel had that little book, and he started reading out of the book, and then he told John, he said, he said, uh, he, he said take the book and eat it. And John took it and ate it. And after John ate it, some of the uh, some of the terminology that John starts using in these next couple chapters mirror identically to what Daniel saw. So most scholars believe that what that was, you know, because you you remember that a lot of what happens in Revelation is going to be signs, is going to be symbol symbols and symbolism. And so you know, so what so what that was was is almost kind of like that God imparted into John right there. Um, you know, the wisdom that Daniel got in his vision. And, you know, and, and so John, he, he did that, he ate that, and then we got introduced to the two witnesses, um, and, and then the two, or, and actually then the seventh trumpet was blown, and, and you know, and the, the angel, some angels were released, and, uh, but, then, but then he goes into chapter 11 in the two witnesses, and we looked at those last week. And remember, and, and we're going to see some things tonight that, uh, probably chapter 12, what we're going to look at tonight, is probably one of the most interesting chapters in Revelation because uh, it's, it's, there's so much symbolism and so many different signs and things in this chapter that this is one of the reasons why people are afraid of Revelation because the book of Revelation, just simply because they don't understand it. But, you know, the Bible tells us all the way back in the very, the very second verse of Revelation chapter 1, blessed is the man who reads and understands this book. You know, because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And, you know, so, so this book is not meant to be, uh, it's not meant to be confusing. It's not meant to be scary. Uh, what this is, he's given us this revelation for a purpose. And as we read through, as we go through and study this, you'll find like Revelation 12, you, we, we will read some things in Revelation 12, but it's actually not until we get to Revelation 17 that we get the full understanding of it. You know, I mean, so so some of this is he, he kind of introduces it and then he talks about some other things and then he gives the interpretation of it. So so if you don't understand something right away, uh, it's good not just to not just to throw it away, but to put it maybe put it on a shelf and and keep reading and see when when, you know, to see if some of, some more interpretation is going to come. And that's exactly what happens here in Revelation, because because we get introduced to the to the woman, to the red dragon, uh, to the man child. And then, you know, we get introduced to all these characters. And sometimes 
some of this is not really uh, fully revealed until we get to chapter 17. Uh, and, and actually chapter 14 and 15 has got some revelation in that too. But then chapter 17 gives a full description of it. So, um, so as we read it, I'm going to go ahead and give you, you know, kind of give you the, the end story here at the beginning. But, but you know, the, the thing to remember is that the thing to remember is that these are um, these are signs, and they are. Uh, and what is a sign? You know, Joseph Morris talks about a sign a lot. You know, a sign is nothing more than a symbol or a um, a picture pointing to something of reality. You know, like for example, when you're going to, he uses the road signs all the time. If you're going down the road, you're going up to Charlotte. You get on 521, you're going up to Charlotte. You'll see signs that say Charlotte, 49 miles. Well, that sign is not Charlotte. But it's pointing you to the reality that Charlotte is 50 miles away. You know, and as you get closer, Charlotte, 29 miles. Well, you're 20 miles closer than you were. You know, it's another sign. It's not the city yet, but it's a sign. And then once you get into the city, uh, and, and, you know, Joseph Morris talks about this a lot, but the difference between a sign and a, and a signal, once you get into the city, you know, you no longer see, you no longer see signs that say Charlotte, uh, you know, so many miles. You'll see a sign that says Charlotte City Limit. <coughs> Excuse me, but after that, you don't see any more signs. You see signals. You see red lights. You see green lights. You know, you see all kinds of signs like that. So, so here, the reason I'm saying that is because here in chapter 12, we'll just get started here in chapter 12. It says this in uh, Revelation chapter 12. It says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Now, that word wonder, even in, in my King James Version, it, it has a little symbol beside there, a little letter. And you go down and notice that that word wonder means sign. So John said that there was a sign in heaven. You know, so, so this is not something. And, and what happens here is that John is going, we're going to actually take in a, everything at this point had been chronological order pretty much. Now here in chapter 12, we're actually taking a step back into history. We're taking a step back into the old covenant, back into, um, you know, back into something that has already happened. Instead of, you know, because, because from when we've studied Revelation so far, from Revelation chapter 4 on, we've said that that is, that is things that are to come. And, you know, so we've, all, we've been talking about things that's going to happen in the future. Like the rapture is still to happen. The, the judgment seat of Christ is still to happen. The, the seals being broken and the trumpets being blown are still to happen. When we get to chapter 12 here, he kind of takes a step back. And John said, I saw this sign up in heaven. But it was a sign. These things, uh, as you as we read it, you'll understand why I'm saying that. But these things are things that's already happened. So, so he's taking us back into the future a little, or back into the past a little bit, I should say. He's taking us back into the past so that we can understand some of the things that's going on right now. Kind of, kind of explaining some things and filling in some gaps, so to speak. So he says there was a great. Uh, he said there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. And the moon under her feet, and upon her head was a crown of twelve stars. Now that's interesting because, and, and you know, we've talked about this. Uh, we saw one of the other visions where where it says an angel appeared with a rainbow on its head, and you know, a rainbow upon his head in a cloud, and he was he was in a cloud. Well, here John sees this sign, this this you know, kind of uh, maybe it's probably even like a movie screen to him, maybe. But it's this sign in heaven, and he says he sees this woman and says that she's clothed with the sun, the moon is under her feet, and upon her head is a crown of 12 stars. Now, one of, one of the ways that you interpret the Bible, and that, you know, when you study the Bible and interpret the Bible, you, is known as the, 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 the law of first mention. You know, so when you see things, you can go back and see where it's first mentioned in the Bible, and that sets kind of a precedent for for what that thing, what that, uh, you know, what that, what that word or what that, that symbolism is. So here, when, like when it says that it's clothed with the 12, the, the, had, she had a crown on her head with 12 stars. Well, where was the first time 12 stars were mentioned? And the first time 12 stars were mentioned was in the dream, if you remember, the dream that Joseph had. And he had the, the picture of the 12, the 12 stars and they bowed down and worshiped him. And, you know, and so, so, you know, so you kind of go back and you, and you see that, and you think about the sun and you think about the moon. And these things are, are things that God has, um, you know, that, that not, that man hasn't created, but that is God, right? God created the sun. He created the moons. He gave Joseph this vision of the 12 stars. 
And so, so when it says that this woman here, uh, and I want to go ahead and give you the, I'll go ahead and tell you who this woman is, and, and if you've ever studied this, you already know this, but, but this woman is, is Israel, right? I mean, it's, it's Israel. And because we're going to find out here, as you go on, it says this, and she, um, because, and the reason I say that, one of the reasons I say, now, as with anything, I'll just say this, as with anything, you'll have different people uh, have different interpretations or different opinions about what things mean. You'll hear some people say, uh, as a matter of fact, I read one today from, from somebody I respect. I mean, a, a minister I respect. I was reading, uh, just, I was reading a bunch of different commentaries and, uh, this week about this, just, you know, just refreshing about some of these things. And, uh, and this one commentary from this gentleman I read that, that I use his, his material a lot. He, he mentioned that he, he felt that this woman was the church. You know, so some people think that the woman is the church. Other people think that it's Mary. You know, I mean, you have all kinds of different people believe all kinds of different things. And, and I'll say this, you know, when the Bible is not, uh, not specific in the fact that it doesn't come right out and say this is what this means, then don't get hung up on it. You know, don't, get, don't, don't, don't go off on a tangent trying to prove something that the Bible is not concrete about, Right? You know, you just, you, you, we let the Bible interpret the Bible. You find things in the Word that interprets it. And, and what this is, the reason, the reason that I believe that this is Israel is because Israel is God's chosen people. And out of Israel is where, out of the nation of Israel, out of the, out of, out of His chosen people is where His Son would be born. And we find here in the very next verse, it says, She, being with child, cried, uh, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. So here you have this picture of this woman that was that was about to give birth, and and this is a picture. And remember, this is not uh, this is not something happening in real time. This is a sign. This is something that is pointing to a to a reality that has already happened, so to speak, in this particular case. So so this is a picture of uh, that God has given us a picture here of of Israel getting ready to give birth to a son. Now, who would that son be? Jesus, you know, and, and now some other people, other people believe, like I said, you, you can read all kinds of different things. The book of Revelation, I guarantee you, you could probably get 25 commentaries and you could probably get 23 different opinions. You know, I mean, you know, everybody's got an opinion on it and, and you know, which ones are right or wrong. I mean, I won't argue with you about it, but, but, you know, I mean, I, I have my own beliefs and my own theories that, that I believe, but, you know, it, like I said, if the Bible is not a hundred percent clear on it, then just leave it, leave it there, you know, and, and let the Holy Spirit help you, help you, uh, <clears throat> you know, come to the, come to the realization of what it is. So he saw this, he saw the vision of this woman had, had clothed with the sun, had the moon under her feet, um, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was being, she was great with child, travailing in birth, uh, travailing to give birth, and she was pained, um, to be delivered. Verse three goes on and says, and then there appeared another wonder or another sign in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So this dragon, this red dragon that, that is, is pictured here, this red dragon would be who? It would be Satan. And now, now this is interesting, and we don't have the interpretation here. Later, now this is one of the, especially the red dragon, is one in, in chapter 17, and we won't take the time to turn there to read it, but we'll get there in a couple weeks. Um, the, the red dragon, it says that it had seven, it had seven heads, right? It said it had seven heads, and, or it had seven heads and ten horns, and then crowns upon the horns. So what, you know, what in the world does that mean? I'll go ahead and fill in the blanks for you and just, and just share because we're just doing the overview here. The seven heads are the seven different kingdoms of the world. And the seven heads are the seven kingdoms. The, the horns are the leaders of those kingdoms. And the crowns, of course, was being their authority. So, so you'll find, uh, and I had, I had my notebook, I had this written down and I left my notebook at home this morning. I left early this morning and left my notebook at home. I forgot to bring it. Um, 
But the, the kingdoms are, are like the Babylonian kingdom, the Egyptians, the, uh, the Medes and the Persians. And, and I've got that list. We'll, we'll go over, I'll give that to you next week and we'll, cause, cause we'll still be talking about some of this even next week. And so, uh, but it is the seven, the seven heads or the seven kingdoms. And then the ten horns or the, the ten kings, um, the ten kings or the ten rulers. And then of course the crowns on their head would be, um, the, their authority. Now, um, like I said, we'll see more about this dragon as we get into the next couple chapters. So I'm just going to leave that to be right now as far as that goes. He talks a little bit more about it here in the, uh, in the next couple verses as well. Verse 5, it goes on to say this. And she brought forth a man-child who was to... Now, and here, here's, one, here's another one of these things. It says, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, if you go back, if you go back to uh, where is it in Isaiah, one of the prophecies of Jesus is that he would rule with a rod of iron. You know, so so we you see that you know you can let the Bible interpret the Bible and understand that this male child would be Jesus, because it says that that you know who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up unto God and to His throne. So so we we know what happened after Jesus came. After he lived and, and he died, he was crucified. He spent three days, three days, three nights in hell. The Holy Spirit raised him up. He spent forty days on the earth, you know, uh, appearing to his disciples and everything. But then, but then he was he was taken up to heaven, and and now the Bible says he is that he that he went to heaven and that he sat down at his father's right hand on his throne. Why? Because his work was finished. You know, the priests never sat down. There wasn't, there wasn't a chair and there, there wasn't a chair in the, in the holy place because the priest's job was never finished. But when Jesus finished his work and when he went back to heaven, he sat down on his throne because his work was then complete. Amen. Aren't you glad that his work is complete? Amen. And we, and we can take part of the finished work. So, so it says that he, this man child was called up to heaven, uh, unto God and to his throne. And then verse 6 says, And the woman fled unto the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Now this part, verse 6, is still to come. Now verse, you know, what we've read so far, verses 1 through 4, has already happened, right? Jesus has already come. You know, uh, he's already been born. He's already come. He's already went back up to his father. He's sitting on the throne today. But then when we get to verse 6, it says, The woman, or Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that she should, uh, that he should, that, that, that they, or that Israel, the nation, should be fed there for a thousand two hundred and three score days. And that is the forty-two months or three and a half years. And where that is going to happen, and we'll see, and this will be interpreted later on too, what most people, where most people believe this place is, is Petra. Is a place called Petra, and it was interesting. Just a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you remember or not, but um, Petra came out and told Israel that they could not buy any more land in in Petra because they had bought so much of the land up, they owned so much of the land that that they told them that you can't buy any more land. Well, Petra is going to be the place during the second half of the tribulation period where Israel, where the remnant of Israel, the 144,000, and the rest of the Israel that have have started believing in Jesus. That they, that they run to, that they run from the Antichrist. They're going to be driven out of Israel. They're going to run to Petra and God is going to hide them there and protect them there for the four, for the second half of the tribulation period. So, so verse six is, is yet to happen. Then we go to verse seven and he kind of takes another step back. Now, this is another part here in verse, uh, verse like seven through eleven or twelve. Um, here that this is another uh, not a, not a controversy, but it's another one of those that uh, that a lot of people have different opinions of, and this is when uh, this talks about when Satan was cast out of heaven, and and here we have uh, remember John is still seeing this. John said there there was a wonder or a sign in the sky. I believe to me I, I still see this unfolding like a uh, like a movie to John. You know, of course, at his time, they didn't have movies, but I could just see a, a high-definition TV screen pop up, and John's watching this movie of unfolding, and all John knows how to call it, it's a sign. You know, man, I mean, this is happening right in front of me. I see this. But verse 7 says this. It says, And there was a war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And he, talking about the dragon, and the dragon prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan. And see, so here, so, so here we, we, get, we get the revelation of who the dragon is. It tells us very plainly. He says, that, he says, and that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So this, this gives us the revelation of who the dragon is. So Satan is the dragon. He says, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they, talking about, really talking about us, it says, and we, we can put we in there, uh, but, but really, um, you know, there's, Anyway, it says, and they overcame them. I'll talk about that in a second. And they overcame him, talking about Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people equate that, that verse, uh, that one particular verse, they equate that just with the uh, tribulation saints. Because it is in the middle of the, the revelation, you know, the, the book of Revelation here. But this is another thing where if you study and you, you kind of uh, study out when Satan was cast out of heaven, that's another one of those times that you're going to have a myriad of answers. Some people believe that he was cast out uh, like between Genesis 1 and Genesis, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And a lot of people say that when he was cast out of heaven uh, and when he hit the earth, that's why the earth became without form and void, that, that he just destroyed the earth when Satan was cast out of heaven and came and, and hit the earth at that time. Other people say that, that all during the Old Covenant, that Satan had access to God, because if you read the book of Job, you'll see that, that, the, that Satan went before the throne of God in Job. And, you know, so he, was, so he had access, so Satan could still have access to, to heaven in that time period. Now, how that looks and how that, how that works, I, I can't explain that, okay? But, but you let the Bible interpret the Bible, you know, and you just know that during that time period that the Bible says that, that Satan came before God and God asked him, where have you been? You know, and Satan said, I've been walking among men, you know. And, and so some people believe that, that all during the Old Covenant time that, that Satan still had access to that and that it wasn't until Jesus, it wasn't until Jesus died on the cross and when he went to heaven and offered his blood on the Holy of Holies that Satan was cast out. Because if you study, if you study the old, the old covenant, if you study the, the priesthood and you study their, um, their, the cleansing of the temple, the high priest, before, you know, when the high priest would take the blood in of the offering, he would have to sprinkle the, off, the, the altar like seven times, and that was a cleansing of the altar, because everything had to be perfectly cleansed before God would accept it as perfect, at, before he would accept the sacrifice. So the, so the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and, and cleanse the Holy of Holies before God would accept the, the sacrifice, the blood on the, on the mercy seat. So, so a lot of folks believe that, that Satan was cast out when Jesus, you know, because you remember, if you remember when right after, right after the resurrection, when Mary saw Jesus, remember he told him, said, don't touch me because I haven't been to the Father. And, and they believe that he still, because if she had touched him, he would have become defiled. Because if the high priest could not be touched with anything unclean, if, the, if, if anything unclean came in contact with the priest, he was considered unclean for a certain period of time. So Jesus told her, don't touch me because I haven't, in other words, what he was saying is I haven't presented the blood to the Heavenly Father yet. I haven't, I haven't taken the blood to the holy, the holy place yet. So he ascended, so right after the resurrection, Jesus ascended to the holy place and offered the blood upon the, upon the mercy seat in heaven and God accepted that sacrifice, and at that moment, that, that is when it was sealed for eternity. 
That's when, that's when heaven, that's when heaven recognized that the price had been paid for all time, for all, for once and for all, and that there would never be another sacrifice. Well, most people believe that that's, a lot of people believe that that's when Satan was cast out of heaven because, because he would not, because if Satan ever entered back into the throne room, it would defile the throne room again. And there would, it would have to be cleansed again. So, so a lot of people believe that, that that's when it was. Then you still have other people that believe that this is yet to happen. That Satan is still the accuser of the brethren and he still accuses us before God and that, that he is still, you know, still there accusing us and that, th- that this, that this will not happen until the tribulation period here at the end of time when, when Satan is cast out and he's, he's finally locked up in the bottomless pit and then thrown into the, into the lake of fire forever. So you have, you have varying different opinions. I'll, I'll just tell you my belief, and, and this is just totally Stephenology, and, and you take it for what it's worth and you know, throw it away if you want to or whatever. But, but I, I, I'm of the belief that it happened when Jesus, I personally believe that it happened when Jesus cleansed the, cleansed the heavenly holy of holies. And, you know, because, because during the Old Covenant, Satan, it does seem that Satan had access to the throne. You know, he had, he had, he could go up there and talk, you know, and accuse, because what did he do with Job? He accused God, he accused Job to God saying, well, yeah, the only reason, the only reason he's not doing that is because you're protecting him. Now, you might say, well, well then how, how come, you know, is he not the accuser of the brethren today? Well, he's still the accuser of the brethren, but, but listen, I believe his tactics have changed in the fact that he's not accusing us before God. I believe he accuses you to you. And he accuses you of not being good enough. He accuses you of not being righteous. He accuses you of not being, you know, not living a right life. And so therefore, you accept that. And then when you accept a lie, you empower the liar. And then you, then you give him power over your life. But if you, but if you reject that lie and you, you tell him to shut up that he has, you know, that you're righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of your works, but because of what Jesus did, then that shuts the accuser up. And as a matter of fact, verse, verse 11 here, how does it say that they overcame him? It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So I believe that's still how we overcome the enemy. I believe, I believe by the blood of the Lamb, because of what Jesus, the price that Jesus paid for us, what He did for us, I believe that that, you know, when we, when we plead the blood, when we apply the blood, and then our own words speaking that, our testimony, when we release that power saying that's what we believe, then that's what shuts the accuser up. Amen. So, um, you know, so like I said, so if you go home and study that, if you Google it, you know, just be careful in that because, man, you can, get, you know, there's some wild theories out there, just like anything. I mean, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of different things. And just, you know, always take it back to the Word and always make sure that the Word, you know, just this week, I, I was reading, I was reading something. Man, I mean, I, I saw like three stories this week that just blew me away. I, I saw one story where, where a guy, this pastor, is leading this church and he told, he, he stood up in front of his church and he told them, he said, he said, I haven't picked my Bible up for a year. He said, I don't need my Bible anymore. He said, I have a greater revelation. And I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, oh, my Lord, <laughs> you know, he needs help, you know. But yet, but yet he has a whole church. He has a whole people, a whole group following him. I saw another, I saw another thing, a, a, a story done on a guy that claims that he's greater than Jesus. You know, he's the, he's the new prophet and he's greater than Jesus. And you're just kind of like, you know, what? <laughs> you know, how, how does that work? You know, and I mean, so, so you understand that when you, when you get out on the internet and, and you start studying things, you can find all kinds of crazy things out there. Always be led by the Spirit. Always follow your heart and just let the Bible interpret the Bible. You know, if you don't understand it, then, you know, then just ask the Lord to help you and maybe just, maybe just put that up for a moment. And, and go study something you do understand, right? I mean, don't don't get lost in don't get lost in trying to understand something that that you don't have a grip on right now, amen. And don't you know because because you can you can get into some serious trouble there, right? I mean, so so let's go on here in verse twelve. He says, um, verse eleven. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Um, 
Now, a lot of people say, see, because of that verse right there, that last phrase, we always quote the, the, the first two-thirds of that verse. We overcome him by the blood of the Lord, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But we stop right there. The rest of that verse says, and they love not their life unto the death. In other words, they were willing to die for what they believed. You know. So a lot of people say that this, this verse applies to the tribulation saints because they, you know, because, because there's so many people martyred in the tribulation for not receiving the mark of the beast and not, you know, not following what, what he, what he is asking them to do that, you know, that they're, that they're going to be martyred. Um, but, you know, but I still believe that applies to us today. And I believe that, that we, you know, there's still people around the world right now tonight that are giving their life for the gospel. You know, there, there's, there's martyrs, people being martyred right now as we speak, Christians around the world that, that are being killed because of their, because of their beliefs. You know, I mean, so, so this verse definitely, I believe, still applies to us today as well. Verse 12 goes on to say this, Therefore rejoice. Ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he that he hath but a short time. Now, now that's an interesting statement too, because you hear you hear people always talk about um, you know uh, you know the devil the devil's angry because he knows he has a short time. Well, when did he when did he get the revelation that he had a short time? You know, was it, is it just at the, at the end of the, at the rapture of the church that he all of a sudden realizes he's got a short time? Or did he know from the time he was cast out of heaven? I believe he knew from the time he was cast out of heaven because, here's why I believe that. Because, you see, he was an angel, and angels were not subject to time. God's not subject to time. You know, that's, when we talk about God, you know that's the reason God knows the end from the beginning because he 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 doesn't carry a wrist a wrist watch checking the time. You know to God time is not an issue. To us, you know, we pray and then 5 minutes later we're upset if God doesn't answer our prayer. But with God, you know what does it say? It says with God a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So for us, you know, waiting 10 years is like just a couple seconds. To God, in, in the way we look at time, but I believe I believe that that when that when Satan knew that his time was up, I believe he knew it the moment that he got cast into the earth. Because the moment he got cast into the earth, all of a sudden time became a reality to him. In other words, he was put under time when he got cast down to the earth, and he knew that the time was going to run short. He knew that the lease on the earth, when, even, when he, even when he deceived Adam and Eve, he knew that that lease was a, for a certain amount of time. And he knew that he had to get things done before that time run, runs out. And that's the, reason, that's the reason, like, all throughout history. Well, and let's go on and read this, and then I'll finish up with, with, the, three, with the three things here that it says that Satan, the way Satan attacked and tried to attack the church and, and Israel and Jesus and, 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 and still how he attacks us today. So it says that he, he had great wrath because he knew that his time was short. And when the dragon saw, verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now let me, add, just, let me just ask this question. What is the most persecuted nation in the, in the world today? Israel. So he knew, so, so see, it says when Satan was cast into the earth, in other words, when he knew that, that he, had, he had missed on that first one, the first, the first thing, he tried to devour the, the man-child before he ever, ever came in, you know, before he finished what he, was, what he was called to do. Once he realized he didn't do that, then the second thing he did was he said, well, then I'll persecute them, and I'll try and get them with persecution. And, and today, we're still seeing, even in America, anti-Semitism is, is at an all-time high. People, people denying the Holocaust. I mean, you know, I mean, some of the comments that were made from our congresswomen and congressmen, I mean, are just, is just astounding that people could even have that belief. You know, I mean, so, so the persecution of Israel is at an all-time high. And it says here that, that once he realized that he had been cast to the earth, he said, I'll persecute the woman now which brought forth the man-child. Then verse 14, it says this, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people believe that this verse is where America fits into the picture of the end times. 
Because what is America's symbol? It's the eagle. And it says here, when, when the, the, the woman is being persecuted the most, she's given two wings of an eagle to rescue her out of, out of that torment, out of that torture, out of that persecution, and take her to a safe place. Whether, whether, that's, whether that's America or not, I, I mean, you know, in, in one way I can see it, and in another way, I don't necessarily know that America is going to play a huge part um, in, in the end times, you know, in the very end times here when it comes to Israel. Because, and one reason I say that is because I believe when the rapture of the church happens, I believe that, that it, that is going to so devastate America that, I mean, could you imagine when every Christian disappears? I mean, you know, if, if, if it's true, I mean, now I don't believe the numbers, I don't know that the numbers as high as they say, but, but what if, what if, what if 50% of America all of a sudden disappeared? I mean, think what that would do to the, to the jobs, to the families, to the, I mean, I mean you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, because America is probably the most Christianized nation in the world. As far as percentages go, we have the highest percentage of Christians probably of any nation. So, so when the rapture of the church happens, you know, I mean, I, and I don't know, and, America, and they may be able to, I mean, there, there may be such a great revival that, 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 you know, that God sustains America. And that's another one of those issues. Excuse me, that's another one of those issues that, that the Bible doesn't, doesn't say America is going to do this. So, so whether or not we're a big part in, in that. And, and to me, it's not that big of an issue to me because I'm not going to be here. You know, I'll be in heaven. And, and whether America is part of that or not, then, then we'll, let, we'll let God dictate that, right? But, but a lot of people think that this is, where, this is the picture of America coming in to rescue, um, you know, rescue Israel after the, the great persecution. So it says, and to the woman were given um, two wings as a great eagle, or of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. Now Petra is in the wilderness. Petra is a wilderness. It's a it's a mountain a mountainous uh, region, and so it says that 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 she, the woman is going to fly into Petra, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time. From the face of the serpent. Now that time times half a time is three and a half years. So for the second part of the tribulation, remember the first part of the tribulation is bad. The second part of the tribulation is the the great tribulation. And what's going to happen is the 144,000 Jews, they're, they're going to be in the first part of the tribulation preaching the gospel Getting people born again and, and, you know, and, and, and all of that. And they're sealed. They can't be, they can't be touched. For that first three and a half years, they're going to they're going to be preaching the gospel. When their when their preaching is through, uh, for the second half of the tribulation, God is going to pull them into a, a hiding place to protect the 144,000 and the remnant of Israel that believes, and and they're going to be pulled into into the wilderness here. It says for a time, times, and a half a time, and that's for the three and a half years of the second half of the tribulation period. And then notice verse 15. It says this. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So you can see right there that, that the, the second half of the tribulation period is going to be the wrath of Satan being poured out on the church or on the believers, on Israel. Not, not, not the church. I, I misquoted. The wrath of Satan being poured out on Israel, the remnant of Israel, the seed of the woman, and, and that is for the people that believe. So Satan used three things. He used, at first he tried to devour, he tried to stop it at the beginning. That didn't work. He persecuted it. That didn't work. And then he waged war. Still today, Satan will try and do those three things. If he don't get you at the very beginning, he throws persecution your way. And if you withstand the persecution, then, then it's an all-out war on you. And, you know, and, and here we see that none of these three things work because we know that the remnant, as we, as, as we know the, the end from the beginning, so to speak, as we've read the, the end of the book, we know that the remnant of Israel and that 144,000 is saved. 
and that's that the Antichrist. And actually, what's going to happen? You know, we have that that the two million man army that's marching in, and they're actually, you know, uh, they are actually marching in to to protest. And we'll see this as we get on here. They're going to be marching in to protest against uh, against the Antichrist because of the wrath that he brings. But at the end, they're going to realize that the one thing they have in common with the Antichrist is their anger against God, and they're going to join with the Antichrist at the end, at the very last battle, the Battle of Armageddon, to fight against God, and that's the very last battle where, where Jesus comes down and just devours all of them, kills all of them, and it's the last thing, you know, before the very end of the, before the very end of time. So, um, I mean, you know, so, so here you have, you see that, I mean, th- this, this, these are things at the end part here is still things that are yet to happen. Uh, so John took us back to things that has happened, that already Jesus came and He died, and he, He's now with the Father, and then He kind of fast-forwarded back to some things that hasn't happened, and, and He kind of mixed it all in together. So you can see how chapter 12 is a very, I mean, is a very interesting book, uh, chapter in here. Now, now next week, as we look at, as we get into chapter 13, we get into another beast, and we get into the, we get into the, the false prophet, and we get in, and, you know, we get into all kinds of different things. The two, two more beasts are introduced, and we'll get into that next week, and it's, it's another, uh, very interesting chapter in chapter 13. So, with that, um, any quick questions? And I, there again, I don't know that I got the answers, but we'll, we'll see if we can help each other. Amen. <clears throat> I mean, that was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, you know, and, and the Bible's full of, full of great things, and, and, uh, and, and as we get into 13, if you want to, if you want to study and you want to get ahead of me, uh, you know, go read 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Those chapters are all like informational chapters and just really fill in a lot of the blanks, especially chapter 17 fills in a whole lot of the blanks about these things. And, uh, as we get there, you'll, you'll see those being filled in. And, and, uh, I didn't necessarily plan this to be a verse by verse thing, but, but we just got into it and we're just going through it as, as quick as we can. But, but it's also good. I've just got to share it all with you. So, um, I hope you like that. I hope you enjoy that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray. Let me pray with you and then we'll, we'll go. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy tonight. Uh, thank you for the word tonight, Lord. And, and we just pray your blessings. We pray, Father, uh, upon the word. We pray. Thank you for wisdom and understanding, Lord. You told us that, that blessed is the man that reads the book of Revelation. And Father, so as we're reading it and studying it, just getting an understanding of what's going to happen in the end times, Father, that are, that are coming upon us very quickly. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving us the insight into that to help us, Father, to spur us, to encourage us, to, to go out and tell more people about you and, and to win more, more, uh, more hearts to you, Father, to, to get more people to believe in, in your saving grace, Father. And so we thank you for that. We bless you. We honor you. And we thank you, Father, for giving us a great weekend. Thank you for Saturday just being a harvest day for, for people coming into the kingdom, Father, is, is our prayer. Thank you for giving us dreams and visions. And, and Father, thank people to find out and to find uh, on Saturday, Lord, and, and just words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healings, and, and just all the gifts of the Spirit in operation, Lord. We just thank you for using us in a big way. We love you and we honor you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.